1: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'd be able to make friends just trying to make it some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to teachers and teach you, so call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Whatever you do, don't ask this market to make up its mind. This morning, tech looked incredibly strong right from the get-go. Too strong right for the punching. And that's exactly what happened. With the faux strength unraveling, Dow only gained just 131 points. This has be inched up 0.05%. But tech, yes, the tech-heavy Nasdaq, declined 0.60%. I, you know, I say, I say getting used to this. This kind of volatility is now here to stay. I think September is the month where this whole contingent of new investors who believe that stocks only go up. I think they get a rude awakening. Sure, long term stocks do go higher. They have. They tend to do so. But in the long run, we're also dead. Short term, when they go down, they go down hard which is why you need some cash on the sidelines. Why I I anointed cash king the other night so you can treat these pullbacks as buying opportunities and not be afraid. With that in mind, what's the game plan for next week? Now, we know housing has been among the strongest groups this year thanks to low mortgage rates and the counter-urban trade. Uh, And that's how Lenore could rally nearly 40% for 2020. And uh, I don't want to hear that this gain is fake because the Federal Reserve is probably up the economy. When you take that money to the bank, they don't care. Now, Lennar reports on money after the close, and unfortunately, I think the easy money here has been made. Even though I think Lennar is a fabulous company. But let's, let, let's see what they have to say about the COVID-induced flight to the suburbs and combine that with the terrific things RH told us last night about the stay-at-home economy. I want to know if Lennar is turning offices into houses and if potential homeowners want these futures. features. And remember, I'm actually looking for home builders that are putting two offices in homes. The drug stocks have been absolutely horrendous of late because they're an easy political target for both parties, but also because they're recession stocks in an environment where the economy isn't receding, it's accelerating. Right now, everybody's focused on the race for a COVID vaccine, which is very important to humanity as a whole in the broader economy. But really doesn't matter much to the pharmaceutical industry as much as we try to think that it does. There's no way anyone makes big money off a vaccine. Every country on Earth is going to put price controls on this thing. When it comes to big pharma, I care about potential blockbusters. And that's why I'll be paying close attention to them. Pfizer holds its virtual analyst meeting on Monday. And the stock spiked the spiked to 38 on, good, uh, uh, on the vaccine news, came right back to 35. We might hear some amazing things from this company that's gotten a reputation for being kind of dowdy and slow to produce new drugs, but do they hate that view. Tuesday, we hear from two of my absolute favorite companies, FedEx and Adobe. I expect two upside surprises because e-commerce is on fire, and that's good, bo- good news for both of them. FedEx can talk Christmas surcharge, get used to that, and overseas strength, including China. I bet they'll be ready for the holidays this time. I am so confident about this one that if it rallies too much on Monday, you know what? Switch directions. Take the pin action and go buy some United Parcel. Because I think the pin action is going to be incredibly strong. As for Adobe, they're a crucial e-commerce enabler, helping countless individuals and small businesses operate on the web at a time when brick and mortar just doesn't work. No fewer than five analysts have boosted numbers or upgraded this company in the last five days. And I'm betting Adobe could have a very good year in 2021. I bet you Shantanu Narayan raises, raises his outlook. Look, at the end of the day, both FedEx and Adobe are essential to the stay-at-home economy. FedEx delivers the packages you get when you order online. Adobe makes it easier for companies to sell stuff online. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. Also on Tuesday, when we haven't talked about it enough, although, uh, I'd say that in, uh, in my Twitter file, people say I never talk about it. That's untrue. Uh, camping World holds its virtual analyst day. And this stock has gone from hero to zero, back to hero again. Well, there's a round trip. I bet it goes higher after CEO Marcus Lemonis, you might know him from the profit, fleshes out how amazingly positive the pandemic has been for the camping business. In this age of social distancing, camping's arguably the safest way to take a vacation. I think Camping World is crushing it. They've got to be selling tons of trailers and camp accoutrements. I wonder also if they'll talk about guns, because hit them or like them. Demand is off the charts. Can the pandemic save the Frankenstein monster that is Kraft Heinz? When we, looked into the, when we got in that lockdown, the company got some real adherence as their old brand suddenly came back to life. But now the pantry's been stocked, and we have to wonder whether Kraft Heinz is seeing continued strength like we saw from B&G Foods when they were on and Campbell Soup. We'll find out at their virtual analyst meeting on Tuesday. Oscar Mayer, just when you thought you'd heard enough about Peloton after last night's phenomenal quarter, they're holding an analyst meeting, too. You can't get enough of these guys promising new equipment, maybe even more of an ecosystem. As long as gyms are closed because they're potential COVID hotspots, Peloton should keep selling lots of exercise equipment. This one had a spike and then a 14 point collapse in 24 hours. Not reassuring. Typical September action. Now, Fed Chief Jay Powell speaks on Wednesday, and the stock market usually likes what he has to say. Powell doesn't get out, go out of his way to be inscrutable like his predecessors. I think he'll urge Congress to pass some kind of bailout for the industries that have been forced to shut down because they're no fault of their own. He might be the only one who can broker a deal between the Democrats and the Republicans, strictly by suggestion, not in reality. Don't hold your breath. You want to know one of the great conundrums of this market. I keep wondering why the heck the stock of Herman Miller the maker of stylish office chairs, has basically been flatlined for months. Everyone else that's connected to the remote work thesis is on fire. Not only does Herman Miller make my favorite chair, the Aeron, but it has a whole suite of gorgeous furniture under the design within reach nameplate. This stuff is far from cheap, but neither is R H, and that company just delivers some amazing numbers. Can Herman Miller really whiff when it reports Wednesday after the close? I think it says, mostly unlikely. But maybe their stuff is too expensive for your typical home office. Could be a trade. Next up, Moderna. They have an R&D day on Thursday, and I'd love to hear what else they have in the pipeline besides the potential COVID-19 franchise. Maybe they'll give us an update on how the big vaccines trial is going. I wanted to join the trial in New York, but the incident with the AstraZeneca vaccine has given me cold feet. There's a reason they need to test this stuff. Finally, on Friday, there's an analyst meeting for Mosaic, the fertilizer company. Why the heck do we care about that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because if Mosaic says anything good about farmers, that should immediately translate into even more buying the stock of John Deere, which has been an incredible performer. Why do you have to go buy all the ring centrals of the world when you can go buy Deere and Cat? The bottom line, look, I know it's not a huge news week. But this market's badly in need of another stimulus package. And I think the next move hinges on whether or not Congress can get its act together to pass something, an event the market needs to break out of its doldrums. You know what we're going to do tonight? We're going to start with a video caller. Pete in New York. Pete! Hey, Jimmy, chill. How are you? It's Pete here in New York. Time to go back to school. But who's going back to school? Call letters CHGG, online textbook, online study, what's your feeling? We recommended Chegg when it was at $3 with Dan play, who happens to be a very big Eagles fan and a friend of Zach Ertz, nonetheless. Uh, a tight end who seems to be unhappy right now with our team. Now, here's what I have to say. Chegg had a huge move up, oh, justifiably, but then has pulled back really ferociously. I like this, uh, at this at this level. I actually would put on a half position. There will be people who say it's a head and shoulders. and go down more than that. I think it's actually going to hold the trend line, put on half right now. Kevin in Idaho. Kevin. Mr. Kramer, it's an honor. Ah, same. I want to thank you uh, for taking my call today and extend to you
0: and your staff a huge Boise State. Blue boobabooia.
1: Man, I'm looking at your staff. Look at my, you know, my wife looks at the COVID states every day. Idaho, refuge, Maine, refuge. Go ahead. Hey, thanks again. Uh, My question today is on Novacure, stock ticker NVCR. Uh, I
0: bought the stock in oh, late 2016 or so on your recommendation as a spec play at around 9 bucks. Today it's trading at about $89. Their tumor treating fields therapy has been very right. successful in geoblastoma and now mesothelioma. And they're having the same successes so
1: far in phase 3 trials with brain metastases, non-small cell right. lung cancer, pancreatic cancer, and ovarian cancer. Look, uh, Kevin, I I am a huge believer, as you know, uh, I recommended the stock when it was incredibly low because of a late friend of mine who managed to live far longer than anyone thought he could because of Novacure. I've done a lot of work on it. I continue to think, while the stocks had a very big move here. uh, Most recently, it is still a great place to be. I need to go to Sunil in North Carolina. Sunil. Jim,
2: a big booyah. Thank you for all that you teach.
1: Ah, you're very kind. Thank you. And it is a teaching show. Let's not forget that. It's a teaching show. These people on Twitter who want it to be something else, I say go to another program. Let's go.
2: All right, Jim. So recently you have been suggesting to take occasional profits. Yes. Is Apple an exception to this since you always say own it, don't trade? Thank you.
1: There were no exceptions uh, for my Chapel trust because I don't like this market. I didn't think about what the stocks were. I just said, uh, I told uh, Jeff Marks and FEMA, I want every single tech stock I own reduced. I did not even want to look at the names. We had too many of them, and I didn't care what they were. And yes, in that case, therefore, Apple, which we have owned for years and years, did get trimmed. It was not a call on Apple. It was a call on tap. Okay, until we get another stimulus package, you can get used to this kind of volatility because it has to do with the fact that everything's in the balance for the next, say, five million people could be laid off or not. Well, man, Money tonight I am bursting the bubble of the Fed bubble talk. Then I'm offering up an IPO primer to prepare you for the slew of companies set to come public. Snowflake. And Ricola, I'm sorry, Nicola's stock tumbled today. As it refuted allegate, refuted allegations from short seller Hindenburg, I'm looking at both sides of the argument. So you gotta do the quote sides. They can't tell. I mean if you didn't, if you look at a recap on print, you didn't know you didn't see these. You know, that kind of thing. Anyway, stay with Kramer.
2: Don't miss a second of mad money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to
3: madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
2: Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact.
1: I keep hearing that the Federal Reserve has created a bubble in stocks. And I just don't know what to do with this kind of rhetoric. Sure, the Fed did its job. We'd be in a worse place if they hadn't turned on the printing presses and implicitly backstop corporate bonds. We might be in a depression right now if they hadn't taken that extraordinary action. Sometimes when the Fed does its job, we'll have low interest rates, and those are good for the stock market because they make the competition for bonds less attractive. But that doesn't mean we're in a bubble. What makes me so sure? Simple. Aside from the cloud stocks, there's really not much out there that could be described as bubblicious. In fact, some stocks are ridiculously cheap. Look at Citigroup, where CEO Michael Corbett announced his retirement yesterday. He's handing in the reins to Jane Fraser, who will be the first woman to run a major American bank. Corbett's done a terrific job as CEO by nearly every important metric, with one big exception. The stock. He took a bank in disarray and turned it into a fabulous growth engine while returning $80 billion to shareholders. Impressive when you consider it's only a $106 billion company. City generated $7.5 billion in income when he took over. It's now generating $19.4 billion. He dramatically reduced the efficiency ratio, what the bank spends on non-interest expenses versus their net income. Return on tangible common equity surged from a paltry 5% to 12.1%. And the stock now is a tangible book value worth north of 70 bucks. Yet, the stock tells a very different story. Holy cow. S&P? Citigroup? Is that a bubble? For one of the largest banks? When Corbett took over over eight years ago, Citi stood at $37. As of yesterday's announcement, it was 51. That's a roughly 37% gain. Over the same period, the S&P 500 is up 130%. The darn thing trades at a gigantic discount to its book value. What it'd be worth if you liquidated the whole business tomorrow and not you do that. And it's got a juicy dividend that yields 4% here and no one cares. That is not a bubble. Citi's performance would would have looked a lot better if he stepped down before COVID hit. Uh, Back then it was trading in the high 70s, low 80s. Oh, and it's down more than 10 bucks since Fed chief J-Pal turned on the, the juice. Some bubble. If Citi were in any other industry, it would simply buy back uh, more stock or boost the dividend. But banks can't do that without approval from the Fed. That's part of the fallout from the financial crisis. Plus, it can't be bought by any other bank because there's too much concentration in the banking industry. I'd argue Citi deserves to be much higher here. Unfortunately, this market hates bank stocks, so you can't stick your neck out and own it. Uh, you can't. I mean, just because it's cheap doesn't mean it won't get cheaper. But it's not just the banks. The bubble thesis doesn't exactly jive with healthcare either. Have you seen the big pharma stocks lately? Gilead, the maker of Remdesivir, down 17.5% since we created the Kramer COVID-19 index. They have a COVID drug, for heaven's sake. Probably doesn't help that Joe Biden and Donald Trump only seem to agree on one thing, fashion drug companies. That kind of rhetoric rarely amounts to anything, but it freaks out the stock market until after the election. The banks and healthcare are both gigantic cohorts, and don't even get me started on the industry that are directly impacted by the pandemic. Airlines, travel, leisure, oil, gas. You think the cruise lines, you think they're, they're in a bubble? I mean, they're too high, arguably, because of the newbies buying them, but it's no bubble. Same goes for retail, aside from the essential operators and the home-related play, like RH. So where does this leave us? If you want to argue that tech sp- stocks spent months skyrocketing because they're the only group you could rely on in this environment, be my guess, but that's not a Fed-mandated bubble. It's the pandemic. I don't know how these people can live through this moment of mask wearing and social distancing and self-quarantining and conclude that the Fed somehow is the key driver of the action here. They know there are 500 stocks in the S&P, yet they seem to have no idea what most of them do. Stick with crazy.
3: When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. at Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney, just go to Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: The IPO market's about to shift into high gear next week. With at least eight deals, including some very hot ones like Snowflake, which is a cloud-based data warehousing company that Wall Street's salivating over. you got to go to the site if you want to find out what data warehousing is. I don't want you buying something. You know what it is. But the, the week after that, we're looking at the direct listing of Palantir Technologies, the surveillance outfit. Uh, With the Airbnb IPO coming not long after. In other words, we're going to be deluged with deals. And that's something you do need to worry about. There are very few things that can reliably kill a bull market, but a flood of initial public offerings will usually do the job. Remember, stock markets are markets first and foremost. When you flood a market with additional supply and demand stays the same, prices go down. that's why I tend to get concerned as we head deeper into the IPO cycle. It's not... A great thing to see these deals coming. And look, we've already had a ton of deals this year already. Uh, 111 of them, up 5% from the same time last year, raising about 8% more money than last year. That's huge, especially when you consider that we had tons of IPOs in the first eight months of 2019. Plus, these numbers don't even include all the money going into special purpose acquisition corporations, we call them SPACs, which have been raising fortunes. So tonight I want to go over the big names that are about to come public in part to look for opportunities, but also to keep you apprised of something that could be pretty destabilizing for the averages. No one talks about this except for me. Why? Because I used to do syndicate work, and I can tell when you see this many uh, stocks, what's going to have to happen is other stocks in the same cohort will be sold. And let's start right there with Snowflake, one of the largest and most eagerly anticipated deals of the year, with good reason. This will be the third tech company taken public by Snowflake's ultra-bankable CEO, Frank Slootman. Now, you might remember him as the CEO of ServiceNow before John Dono took over as a regular guest here. Slootman is a legendary figure in Silicon Valley, an unstoppable workaholic who drives his team hard. Why? So they can win for the shareholders. This guy's a throwback. If the deal prices at the midpoint of its range, $80, then they'll raise $2.24 billion, which would make this the second largest IPO of the year. I suspect that it'll come at the very high end of the range or they'll have to raise the price because there's a lot of demand for Snowflake. Earlier this week, we learned both Salesforce and Berkshire Hathaway each agreed to purchase $250 million of stock in the IPO price, whatever it might be, in a concurrent private placement. Now, I knew Benioff loved Slootman, but I really wasn't expecting a Mark Benioff-Warren Buffett team up. I'm conflicted on this one because I trust Mark Benioff's judgment when it comes to software companies. Salesforce practically invented the cloud. The last time they did one of these concurrent investments was with Zoom video. It came public, and that turned out to be a grand slam. Throw in Warren Buffett, the ultimate value investor, buying into the opposite of a value stock. And clearly there's something special about Snowflake. Do you know that even if neither were involved, just Sloopman's name alone gets you a red-hot deal? And therefore, that's why I'm conflicted. The thing's going to be too red hot unless you can get a piece of the actual deal, which would be fantastic. It might be too expensive. Otherwise, we'll revisit Snowflake in more detail next week. I mean, when I started out, if I could have gotten like 100 shares of this one, I would just grab it. Now, I mean, 100 shares on the deal. Now, there are at least three more software IPOs coming next week, though, and and all of them are less enticing. First, you've got Unity Software, which makes one of the most popular engines for developing video games. Not yet profitable. Second, there's JFrog, which is in the DevOps space. That's short for development operations. This is one of the most lucrative corners of the cloud-based software space. Third, you've got Sumo Logic. That's a cloud log management play. I'm not familiar with this one, but what matters here is that you've got now four cloud deals coming next week. And that causes some portfolio managers to sell current cloud holdings that they have to make room for the new ones. Call it cloudy with a chance of meatballs. What else is coming next week? well, at least in the next couple of weeks, we've got a couple of health technology plays that we've had on the show before. Amwell and GoodRx. Amwell's a telemedicine play. You know, I like this. Not unlike telehealth a business is booming thanks to the pandemic. Who wants to go to the doctor in person when you can get, get, you, you, you can video conference? Uh, given that Teladoc's merging with Livongo, that digital health coach, Amwell could slot right into the market as the only publicly traded pure play on telemedicine. That said, it's still far from profitable. And once again, I reiterate that I think the Livongo deal is fantastic. Livongo TeleDoc will be the rising star. As for GoodRx, this is a company that helps people save money on prescriptions. They've got an app that lets you comparison shop in nearby pharmacies. They've got a terrific business, one that had 50% revenue growth in the first half of the year, and they're highly profitable. I am a huge client and think the world of it. At a time when people are paying close attention to their health and their bank accounts, GoodRx seems like a winner. Again, though, it all depends on the price. You don't want to buy something that comes out in too hot. We've also got a couple of big direct listings coming in the near future, both from software companies Palantir and Asana. Now, a direct listing is not an IPO. It's where you simply list a bunch of your shares on a public exchange without raising any new money. Uh, That's how Spotify came public in 2018, uh, did poorly at the beginning, and then soared, and how Slack came public last year, kind of the opposite. The jury's still out on whether these direct listings are a good idea. On the one hand, the company doesn't get the benefit of the Wall Street hype machine pushing their stock. On the other hand, you as an investor don't have to cope with the Wall Street hype machine, inflating the stock's valuation right out of the gate. I always thought it was a cool idea because you don't have your management flying all over the country when it should be working. So how about these these particular direct listings? Palantir is a surveillance software company that helps all sorts of organizations mine vast quantities of information. Originally, they only worked for government clients from the Pentagon to the NYPD, but more recently, they've started doing business with large businesses, too. Needless to say, the surveillance business is a little controversial right now, and the company was co-founded by the mercurial Peter Thiel, but he is pretty bankable. On top of that, Palantir is a corporate governance nightmare. They plan to have Class F shares. They give the founders variable voting rights. In this case, the founders will control just under 50% of the voting power at all times. This always makes you think like a younger state, worries me. That said, Palantir is a rapidly growing business, so it just might work. Although recent reports suggest that it's early, the early interest Hasn't been as strong as the company or anybody else expected, for that matter. Second direct listing is Asana. It's a collaboration software play that was created by one of the co-founders of Facebook. Asana's got a terrific growth rate, 82% in its most recent fiscal year. Very few have that. But it's also a consistent money loser. A lot of them have that. I think it'll be a good taste case, uh, test case for what this market values. And you're probably going to hear a lot of negative chatter about it because of this big uh, the losses. What else? All right, we don't have a date for it yet, but there's another cloud software IPO worth keeping an eye on. It's called Bentley Systems. They make construction and infrastructure design software for engineers. And that's similar to Autodesk, which has been a great company of your cadence design, which has been one of the best of all. I'm looking forward to this one. Then we have to deal with Kramer, Fave, Airbnb, along with DoorDash and Instacart somewhere down the line, all of which could be pretty big deals, suck up a lot of cash, make other people sell stock for these stocks. Now, after the last couple of weeks, this torrent of IPOs makes me a little nervous. Again, why don't? like September. Some of these could be enticing, although many of them will likely be very expensive, especially once they start trading. But here's the bottom line. When we get a flood of initial public offerings, it's usually a bad sign for the rest of the market. Why? Because money managers don't have all this new money coming in, so they've got to sell holdings that are like these stocks in order to do some buying. Given that September tends to be a bad month for the market and it's not exactly going great so far, I'm urging you to be prepared as these deals start flowing. So once again, please have some cash on the sidelines. Remember, we anointed Cash King the other day, as I think you'll need it, especially once get, we get closer to the end of the month. We're going to Arthur in Arizona. Arthur. Jim, Arthur. how are you? What's happening? Hi. I became interested in a company called Kensington Capital Acquisition when I found out that they're participating with a foreign sovereign fund and a company called QuantumScape in a project involving solid-state batteries—certainly very laudable from an economic or eco perspective. Right. But does the management of Kensington possess the quality to bring this socially worthwhile project? Oh boy! You know we got—I mean, we got so much homework. We're actually doing a homework segment tonight. But I got to tell you. You, the lack of knowledge about what we're doing here makes me uncomfortable. And you may, but as it is, I can't figure out what September 22nd battery is it's going to be for Tesla. So I've got to take a pass on that, but I will do homework and figure out why this pack is any from any other SPAC other than UTS, which is the only one that I'm not UTS about. Let's go to Gilbert in California. Gilbert. Hey, Jim, how's it going? Couldn't be better. Hey, How are you? Question oh, man, I'm hanging in there with the 14 and... The 9-11, thankful for all those sacrificing soldiers out there that are overseas and making sure we're safe at home. My uh, main question on Smile Direct Club. Earlier this year, I uh, exited my position just below $9 right before their earnings report, but which then the, stank, the stock tanked right after. Right. So uh, since the stock has bounced back significantly and has pushed higher above that long-term resistance level, yes, with the help of some analyst upgrades and insiders buying, of course, I initially bought Smile Direct Club for a stay-at-home teledentistry swing trade during the shutdown of the economy. Yes. And so my main question is, what's your opinion on the actual sustainable growth of Small Direct Club, especially with competition from Align Technology, which I know you've had a... You right, look, I really like have. Align. This stock is going up a lot, uh, and a lot of it was because of the insider buying, which is good. That's a good sign. But, you know, we have a line on, and we think the world of a line, and we're not backing away from a line, and that's the way I look at it. All right, we're about to get a slew of new companies, and what I'm concerned about, not about how great they are, because Silflake is fantastic. Put RX is going to be amazing. I hear nothing but good things about Amwell, but you know what? It's all about price. So keep some cash in the sidelines and try to actually get in to these two deals. Call your broker on Monday. Much more made money ahead, including my take on, uh-oh, Nicola. Not Rickola, but Nicola. With shares plunging amid a dispute over short sellers' fraud allegations, remember he is short the stock, I'm breaking down all the action. Then school's back in session, so you know what that means. Finally, with all these calls that I don't know the stocks, we're going to do some homework. And order calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. I hate to say I told you so. (laughs) That's a lie. I love it. Great feeling. And you know what? I told you to stay the heck away from Nikola Corporation, the speculative electric slash fuel cell powered truck play with a stock that's currently spinning out after a wild ride this week. Yeah, roughly three months ago, we talked, uh, we started talking about this Nikola right uh, before it came public via merger with a special purpose acquisition company, or SPAC. I predicted the stock would spike right out of the gate because that all the sexy stuff that people love, particularly the Robinette types. And then I said, "What you had to do, sell, sell, sell." Because it all looked less like uh, a business and more like a business plan. Not much in the way of sales, no earnings whatsoever, and no production for years. Sure enough, Nikola initially surged higher, running from the 30s to around 94. But it quickly peaked, and the stock's been working its way lower ever since. Oscillating wildly on the way down, including a monster 15% decline today that took it all the way back to the low to the 30s. I want to circle back to this one because it's had a truly crazy week, and I think you can, I can teach you a lot about how to be a better speculator. See, on Tuesday, Nikola received what sure looked like the ultimate vote of confidence. We learned that they'd be partnering with General Motors to build their new battery pickup truck. In response, Nikola stockpipes pole vaulted from 35 to 50 in a single session. Then yesterday morning, a short-selling research firm ominously named Hindenburg Research published a devastating critique on the stock's been tanking ever since, uh, to the point where it's now giving back all of the GM gains and then some. It didn't help that management's response seemed kind of um, ill-advised. So I'll be walking you through this step-by-step, especially considering one very important fact that you must know from the top. Hindenburg, the research firm, people behind it, They're shorting the stock they're trashing. Not illegal, but you need to know that because in many ways that's very salient for the people who own Nikola. First was the GM deal. Not only did they partner with with Nikola in their upcoming electric pickup truck, which I call the honey badger, not the badger, because it's an infamous animal because the honey badger don't care. GM is also taking an 11% stake in the business. Wow, imprimatur. Though they're getting that stake in exchange for in-kind services, not cash. Nikola will use GM's batteries in their electric trucks and use GM's fuel cells for its larger Class 7 and Class 8 trucks. According to General Motors, the deal is worth $4 billion to them, and Nikola bandied about the same number. All that sounds pretty positive, doesn't it? Well, there's one issue, one little issue. Normally when a big established company partners up with a high-flying tech startup, the startup contributes some technology. That doesn't seem to be the case here. Aside from the software, if anything, it's the other way around. GM's providing their technical know-how to Nikola. When Mary Bauer, the CEO of of GM, came on Squawk Box yesterday, she sounded so excited. She was jazzed. Very excited about how the deal will let them scale up manufacturing for their batteries more cheaply because Nikola is paying for the plant uh, plant expansion. I'm sure that's true. I mean, this is just one part of a much larger electric vehicle strategy for the auto giant, which a lot of people think is going to spin off its EV business. Still... The market initially loved the story, with GM stock jumping 8% on Tuesday, while Nikola jumped more than 40%. Now, to be fair, Nikola's pulled back 15% on Wednesday, simply because of profit-taking. People knew it had run up too far too fast. The overall narrative remained very positive, though, at least until yesterday morning. Enter the lead balloon. This short-selling firm, Hindenburg Research, published a truly scathing, very long critique, and it was titled... How to parlay an ocean of lies into a partnership with the largest auto OEM in America. Suboptimal. There were some serious allegations here. Hindenburg claims that Nikola's CEO, Trevor Milton, has a history of lying to investors and business partners. They claim he's lying about Nikola having the ability to produce oxygen, I'm sorry, hydrogen, about having solar panels on their headquarters, about owning natural gas wells, and crucially, they claim he's lying about the truck. Now, some of these allegations have partially been confirmed by Bloomberg and the Financial Times. So there's something here. There's a little smoke, a little fire. Hindenburg's core argument is simple. They say Nikola's truck doesn't really work, that it's basically vaporware. And all the demonstration videos have either been faked or heavily misrepresented. For example, according to the Financial Times, Nikola apparently showed a video of a semi-truck rolling down a hill and edited the slope out to make it look like their truck was actually running. Raised eyebrow. And that's not even the craziest stuff. Hindenburg claims Nikola signed a letter of intent to buy a company whose president had just been indicted for using NASA research funds to pay for prostitutes. A curious business decision, if I might say. Even after learning that the company's technology didn't actually exist, Trevor Milton allegedly kept hyping this tech as a game changer. Another one, the old CFO resigned in 2018 and then filed a lawsuit against Nikola. A month later, the company refunded all its deposits. Maybe that has nothing to do with the lawsuit whatsoever. Again, though. No. And then Hindenburg goes through the corporate masthead, arguing that many of these executives seem unqualified. Eh, for example, yeah, no accounting for case. For example, Nikola's head of hydrogen production is just the CEO's little brother, formerly a contractor in Hawaii. Now, I'm not asking for executive from Lindy or Air Products, but this gen is not necessarily the guy you want to go to for fuel cell technology. Maybe he's a total whiz. Hey, Hawaii's got a lot of smart people. For Benioff lives there. For fuel cells to work, you need a cheap source of hydrogen. In the past, Milton Trevor, Trevor Milton, never trusted a man with two first names, has repeatedly said that Nikola succeeded in reducing the cost of hydrogen by 81% versus his peers. However, when pressed, he admitted they'd never actually produced hydrogen at this price. Hey, maybe his brothers are the case. Worst of all, Hindenburg alleges that the products are largely vaporware and Nikola has no meaningful IP, also known as intellectual property. For example, the company used inverters that have claimed to, to be made in-house. But Hindenburg says they actually buy them externally and slap on a new label. Now, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, if half these accusations are true and there's like a monster amount of accusations, it could be a great movie in here. You know, like a Netflix thing. And it gets better. Or worse, if you're a shareholder. After the report came out yesterday, the CEO kept going on Instagram and Twitter, promising that he was working on a point-by-point rebuttal. Then this morning, Nikola publishes a one-page press release with no exculpatory information whatsoever. They just said they're going to sue Hindenburg Research. You hire a lawyer, you sue. It's what people do. They, you know. We reached out to the company for an official comment to see if we could get something more in-depth. So far, they haven't responded, but it's a long weekend. I'll be in my garden. You can reach me. But this guy keeps posting on his Instagram. It increasingly sounds like. Like the erratic. Black turtlenecked Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos fame. Take a look. When you're changing the world and you're doing good things and you're an entrepreneur, um, these people love to try to take you down. They love it. But this was all about money and greed. Hmm. First they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden, you get that video. I've got to tell you, if Hindenburg's research is lying, some of this stuff should be very easy to dispute. For example, if they got a truck that actually runs, well, you know what? Run the truck, right? Release the video. I mean, easy. That would shoot that Hindenburg down fast. Uh, bring in a neutral third party, have them drive it. <laughs> oh, take that Zeppelin down. <laughs> And instead, we get the CEO deleting his old tweets and posting things on Instagram that really don't belong on Instagram, like the fact that uh, Nicola had a call with the SEC about these allegations. Hey, nothing wrong with that, I guess. Now, the CFO's posting that the research report is a hit job with no substance, and they'll have a response next week. I mean, that, I, that's okay. I mean, I get that. I await the response. So, by the way, does uh, the guy from Hindenburg, Nathan. Yeah, Nathan. Nathan. All right. Now, maybe the whole report is a tissue of lies, aside from the stuff that's been confirmed by outside news organizations. But that's the problem with speculating on a company that's a little more than a business plan. The bottom line, Nikola's so early in its development that it can be hard to tell fact from Pulp Fiction. It's not like they're moving lots of merchandise. If you buy an early stage tech company like this one, you're betting on the technology and you're betting on management right now. Uh, it's not, maybe not that great a bet. I don't know if it will crash and burn like the actual Hindenburg or without a point-by-point rebuttal that I expect on Monday on my desk. well, let's just say uh, some of the allegations, hmm, they make me feel like the stock remains a sell. May have money's back in. It is time. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready ski day? It's for the lightning round. We're to start with Jacob in Louisiana. Jacob. Hey Jim, what's going on today? Ah, you know, usual day. How about you? All right, I'm doing good. Uh, So just wanted to ask you about this one stock I had. I've uh, been having it for about two or three years now. Have a decent profit in it, about 20%, but I don't know what's going on with it. Uh, it's been sluggish as of late. Its chart made a double top recently, and it was even down on a uh, market up day. I think it was Wednesday. Uh, and I don't know whether I should hold or not, and that's Applied Materials. Oh, Applied Materials is a really great company. I mean, I haven't like ever searched more than Applied Materials, but they are very good. Uh, we should have them one recently because I actually think that the business is okay. But you know what? I like – I I like. I, 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 look, I am in the end – a guy who likes AMD and who likes Nvidia, and I like Broadcom, and I think they're all better than that. Uh, now those are semiconductors, not to get some equipment. I need to go to Randy in Alabama. Randy, booyah, Jimmy Madman, chill. This is Randy in South Alabama, first time caller. Well, sweet home, what's going on? Shout out to my 18-year-old son, Grayson, who recently invested in the market. Excellent. I wanted to ask about it. I wanted to ask about a stock
0: I purchased back in April. It's a classic stay-at-home stock. It hasn't been affected by the recent
1: sell-off. The stock is Newskin in U.S. Okay, Newskin is a direct seller, and I don't comment on direct seller companies. Why? Uh, because, you know what? I've been in the spin cycle a long time in my life, and I'm kind of, I want the washing machine then. Let's go to Anthony, without my cell phone inside it, Lisa. Anthony, New Jersey, Anthony! Hey, Jim, Optimize RX, OPRX cloud-based health company. We got what the you good Rx. I'm a good Rx guy. I don't need to optimize Rx. I like the good Rx. that's coming come in public soon. Let's go to Juan in Nevada. Juan. Is it Jimmy Chill? Yeah, it's a chill, man.
3: Hey, hey, Jim. Hey, I don't know about you, but I'm
1: sure glad football is back. I am, too. I mean, you know, Andy, I don't know about the mask, coach. I don't know about the mask. I'm a little odd. Well, and whatever. And the whatever whatever get makes it so...
0: Hey, Jim. Hey, I was looking to add in my position on on this stock, Blackstone
1: Group. Oh, I like Blackstone Group. You should do it. I mean, I think that they're terrific managers. It's the right time to be in it. The stock's come down a little bit. Uh, It's down 8% for the year. I'm I'm game. Let's go to Tim in New Jersey. Tim. Good evening, Jim. I'm the somber September 11th. Lest we forget, a shout-out to NYPD, New York Fire Department, and my police department, Cranford PD in New Jersey. My question, Jim, is Horizon Therapeutics, HDMP. Should I buy, hold, or sell? Well, first, I, I want to echo all of your, your kind thoughts, uh, and, and you're right. And it's been – I did a video – you know, I did a, a, a special, and I wish you could recall the special because it was about four years ago. But I think, I think it was one of my more thoughtful things that I've done. Horizon Therapeutics has had too big a run. Uh, it's just up gigantically. It's up 100, almost 100%, so I'm going to have to say no to these levels. Let's go to Bill in Arkansas. Bill! Yes, how you doing, Jim? I'm good. How about you, Bill? Doing great.
0: Uh, listen, first time caller, and thanks for the work you do and the money I've made since March. Thank you! Uh, I'd like to ask your opinion about uh, Purple Innovations and how the secondary stock offering will affect the price. I got to tell you,
1: you know, I mentioned earlier that there certain stocks I don't like direct selling. I, I have never made any money in the mattress and bedding business. And you can say, well, listen, this, this time is different. No, I mean, at a certain point, I'm going to say, look, I've got all the stocks I need in a particular segment. I'm not going with the mattress and bedding. Let's go to Brian in Florida. Brian. Hi, how you doing, Jim? Brian, I'm doing well. How about you? Oh, couldn't be better. Okay, but that's I'm great. But I'm wondering... Okay, but can I ask a question? Sure. I'm thinking about investing in the Walt Disney Company. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? No, and- I think it's a great thing. I am so sick of hearing <sighs> about the doubt. Dallas- oh, now in like China? I mean, I remember... Well, it was like? Well, I remember when Khrushchev wasn't a lot of good at Disneyland. Hey, now we own China with Disneyland. So give me a break. We're the winners, not the losers. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: Now that back-to-school season is upon us, it's time to catch up on our summer reading at the last possible moment. Whenever I get a call about a company from you that I'm unfamiliar with or haven't been following actively, I promise to do some homework and get back to you rather than just cuff it. So let's get to it. Back on July 15th, I know a long time ago, we got a lot of homework, a lot of shows. Uh, Karen in New York wanted to know about a speculative biotech called Osmotica Pharmaceuticals. I had to tell her to do more research. First of all, if you need to know that this is a tiny company with a $316 million market capitalization, almost too small to mention on the show. Until a few months ago, Osmotica had a tired portfolio of generic and branded drugs that were nevertheless profitable and produced a steady stream of cash. They were using that money to develop a treatment for droopy eyelid with a goal of becoming less of a generic biopharma play and more of a branded drug maker. Then at the end of June, Osmotica resubmitted a new drug application for a multiple sclerosis spasticity spasticity drug they'd been working on but had to shelve a year and a half ago, encouraging news but didn't do much for the stock. Two months ago, though, they got FDA approval for that droopy eyelid drug, and that really was a game changer. One that sent the stock from $6 and changed to $8 and changed a few days later. Problem is, Osmotica came right back down. See, a few days after the approval, the company announced a 5 million share secondary offering, and it turns out there was a lot less demand for this deal than management hoped. Since then, it's pulled back even harder, erasing all its gains and then some. In my view, this one is just too speculative for me. Next up on July 21st, Lynn in Texas asked about an old friend, a company used to come on all the time on the show, Alliance Data Systems. It's a provider of private label, credit card, and loyalty programs. And I said I need to refresh my memory because it's been a long time since then been on. Well, it turns out Lion State has become a real dog long term. After peaking just above five years ago when they were on our show. The stock's been a horror show. Earnings, disappointments, high-level management changes. You know, they've had three CEOs in the last 14 months. Even before the pandemic, Alliance was in bad shape. Then COVID came along, and the stock plunged from the triple digits down to $20 at its March lows. Now, that was an overreaction. Alliance rebounded to the mid-60s by early June. But the second big outbreak started in the Sun Belt, the stock got slammed again. Now, this one is tricky. While COVID's only the latest of their problems, it's still a big problem. Consider the loyalty card business. It's usually dependent on air travel. A lot of these are airline miles programs. Uh, beyond that, the core credit card business depends on a healthy U.S. consumer. And I'm not sure that we will we'll have that going forward unless we get another stimulus package from Washington. On the other hand, this is important. Alliance Data stock is really cheap. It sells for roughly four times next year's earnings estimates. But here's the thing. A lot of people have lost money betting that Alliance Data has finally gotten too cheap. At the beginning of the year, the analysts expected them to earn $20 a share in 2020 and this year. At 100. dollars It was selling for five times earnings. Ooh, looks cheap, right? Now, though, it's only expected to earn six bucks per share and 10 bucks in change next year. You know what that means? Value trap. I will say this, though. Alliance reported a bad quarter a little over a month ago, and the stock rallied anyway, and that usually is a good sign. It says the weakness is already baked in. Where do I come out? I think Alliance data can come roaring back if we get a COVID vaccine sooner uh, sooner than expected. But there are better ways to play a recovery. It doesn't help that they just lost Wayfair's private label credit card business to Citigroup just today. I'd much rather go with Visa or MasterCard, which my Chapel Trust owns, or better yet, PayPal and Square for some pandemic protection. Finally, on July 23rd, Dave in New York called about a company called Moog, M-O-O-G. And I said I'd circle back. I've known this company for years, but I always have to stay current. Moog makes precision control systems for military and commercial aircraft, satellites, space vehicles, missiles, marine equipment, medical devices and automated industrial machinery. It's about a 50 50 split between defense and commercial business. The defense business might seem risky in election year, but, you know, you've got to remember that Joe Biden is not Bernie Sanders. Defense spending is not on the ballot this year. Now, Moog has been a long term winner. Two decades ago it was at 10 bucks. In February it peaked at 95. Then COVID hit and the stock pulled back hard, seeing it in $32 and change in March overreaction. Since then it's recovered to nearly $60, still well off its highs, in part because 19% of the business comes from commercial aircraft. Not a ton of demand there right now. That said, Moog just had a bullish investor day about a month ago, and I think it can work if the recovery plays come back in style on the Wall Street Fashion Show. As I see it, Moog is a good, solid industrial innovator. Parts of their business may be in rough shape right now, but they've got a terrific track record long term, and I think they'll come out of this period in a better position. Given that September tends to be a difficult month, though, why don't we do this? I recommend lagging into this one gradually, because there's a good chance you'll get a better price. But Moog, it's a very good company. Stick with Kramer. We're starting to see some patterns. and I want you to be aware of them if you're a trader, okay? You go down hard, and then people feel somehow overnight that the market's gotten better. So then we rally at the opening, particularly tech, and then the people who bought in the last half hour come out, and they start going, hitting bids, and knock stocks down. I need you to use that strength in the morning to lighten up and get that cash position that I want you to have so much because you know I hate September. I'm not done boring you. I hate September. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer and I will see you Monday.
3: The Living Room is where you make life's most beautiful memories.